Hello and welcome to Deep Impact, a deep dive into Wildbo's most unloved work five years on. That over there is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And we are back to talk about Bonds 1.3. Do you want to kick us off, Elliot? Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, so, I mean, the chapter opens uh, right well a couple of hours after the last one finished off. Blake's gotten a lift to his grandma's house and she drops him off and he goes inside the house, you know, after getting a key. Now, I want to point this out. I want to point something out here, which I think is a, a nice little bit of character foreshadowing. Is No, not foreshadowing, character building. <laughs> um, which is, Blake is like very insistent that he pays the woman who drops him off 20 bucks for her time yeah. and gas, um, which I like. I, I He's kind of desperate to, to go out of this world not owing anybody any debts, you know? Yeah, I was about to say, it seems like he's someone who wants to pay his debts, which uh, I don't think will be important. Uh, <laughs> go, yeah, going um, forward, literally, uh, <laughs> the theme of debts is going to come up a lot more in this very ch- in yeah, this very chapter. Yeah, we already addressed that a little bit, but yeah, it's a good point. He he comes across as someone who, um, you know, doesn't want to take advantage of others, which is a nice trait to have. Yeah. Um. So Blake is at the house. He made it. He has survived, and he goes inside, and there's this vibe of like. <laughs> You think, or I thought when I first read the story, oh, stuff's going to actually start making sense as soon as he reaches the house, you know? <laughs> um, but <laughs> it's just a house, and he, he kind of is like, he gets inside and he starts kind of poking around, and it's just the same house that he was in uh, four months ago, you know? Yeah. Well, the whole scene has this sort of vibe of like, like everything up until now has been like, get to the house, that'll be sanctuary or whatever. Yeah. And he gets there, and then it's just this creepy, empty house, and it's like, there's not really that sense of, like oh, like uh, now, now we can take us take a step back and analyze. It's um, no, it's still everything's just fucked. Yeah, but it's so uh, mundane. I really like that. I really liked how it it kind of made me think. Is this like it kind of makes you question? Like, is this actually real? Like, has Rose been lying to him? Was what just happened like a real thing? Um, yeah. Um. But anyway, so he he does like a lap of the house, and then um. He stitches his hand up because obviously that got slashed by the bird things uh, last yep. chapter. Yeah, and this is a nice line that I want to pull out. Rose is kind of curious about him like being able to stitch up his hand. And he says that he's done it before. And Rose says, when did you need stitches? And Blake responds, I didn't feel like answering that one. They weren't for me. It was for a friend. This will be the first time stitching myself up. Again, just hinting at <laughs> Blake uh, not having a great past while he was uh, away from his family for a few years. Yeah, I definitely. I mean, there's we, we're constantly getting these little trickling bits of information about his past that's just, uh, you know, he's been through shit and he's kind of a badass because of it um, in terms of like his endurance yeah, uh, for pain and, and all that. Um, yeah, I, I also, there's one bit where, where Miro's... Um, sort of mentions that she says like it didn't really hit her until she saw him in action that they're actually quite different um mm. and then they talk a bit more and it really seems to me that where this is heading is all their differences are due to the fact that um in rose's timeline of events her parents actually liked her um whereas mm. blake does not seem to have had that experience um yeah i think another characteristic of it is rose kind of plays into her parents and the family dynamic, whereas Blake very strongly rejected it. And so there, yeah. it was like a, a friendly and allied relationship for, for Miro's, 
but a antagonistic one for Blake. See, I, I was sort of, I'm already getting the impression that even that difference is probably due to, uh, like, like Blake sort of said in, in the first chapter, his parents always wanted a daughter. And so I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if even, even that difference is just due to the fact that his parents never really liked him. And I mean, I figured out using the fact that his name, his surname is Thorburn, that his dad must be the, the member of the family, like his uh, Rose Senior's uh, son. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty convinced at this point because he wanted a daughter and everything. He's probably in on some of this magic stuff. Um, and, and I, I, we have our first little speculation here <laughs> from you, Elliot. Uh, yeah, I guess. I, so I have a feeling that's, that's going to come into it because that, that sort of would explain why Blake and Rose had such different relationships. And I like the concept that these big differences in their character are much more due to how they were raised than just the gender like it's because of the gender difference but not yeah. not directly like it's because of how other people treated them differently because of their gender not not actually like that you know the same person as a different gender had differences yeah i the reason that this is as fascinating to me is the same reason that people kind of like these stories of like identical twins separated at birth and oh they both yeah. became firefighters you know it's like exploring this whole nature versus nurture uh thought and um how much are people defined by their relationships versus just kind of who they inherently are yeah i think it's it's a fascinating dynamic between blake and rose because a lot of times blake will think and presumably rose thinks the same thing yeah oh this person is so like me or oh this person is so unlike me Um, yeah there's there's all these both of which are fascinating yeah there's all these different ones um like you know there's a bit there's a couple of instances where miro starts to defend their dad and every single time blake just sort of goes yep okay and like changes the topic completely like he just he's just like no i don't want to deal with even thinking about the fact that my dad isn't a dick um yeah that my dad could have potentially liked (laughs) me yeah (laughs) like Uh, shit that's fucked up (laughs) um but i mean yeah and then there are all the similarities like they're both kind of snarky and and it, like it's already created a great sort of banter between them i'm already enjoying yeah. these sort of sarcastic comments they keep exchanging with each other um and how they both react to the other one doing it uh yeah. in a very well, similar way which is like are you wait you can't be kidding right now and then they'll turn over and do the same thing um yeah i i think something i like their snarky dynamic too but i think think something that's going to become more and more apparent is Rose is in such a shitty situation, you know, yeah. like she's trapped in a mirrored dimension. She's found out that her whole world is basically a lie as far as she can tell. Um, and and because of that, kind of Blake has a lot of the inherent power in their relationship just because he is real, <laughs> you know. Well, yeah, he, and she's and he's kind free, of free. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, um, which leads to this very interesting dynamic between them because, like, she kind of has to go along with whatever he says, and he he tries to take her opinions on board. But there are a few times, even in this chapter, where she'll be like, "Oh, what about this thing?" And he'll be like, "Mm-hmm, mm-hmm," and then just ignore yeah. her. <laughs> I mean, I was probably I was probably going to talk about this at the end, but I'm just going to do it here because we're sort of on this topic. Um, yeah. Like, like this whole thing about whether or not we can trust her, because you know, like Blake is constantly double checking whether or not he should trust her, um, yeah. and, and like. I want to trust her. Like, it, it just seems like I don't want this to be one of those stories where the closest ally for the whole time uh, was actually working against them. Um, but there, there are all these little bits. Like, every time he seems to think about not doing what Rose Senior would have wanted, she manages to steer him back into that path. 
Mm. Um, like there's a bit where he tries to, he notices that the contract has a way out and she makes a pretty good argument as to why that that's probably bullshit, but I couldn't help but yeah. notice that she's always doing that. And like, she's the one who's like, you should go to the house and, and he just does yeah. it. So, um, there's like this little seed of doubt, which I think is intentional. Um, yeah, but I want to trust her. And I think what would be more interesting is if she is genuine and then later on in the story, there's a point where maybe sh- one of them gets the opportunity to switch so that Blake's the one in the mirrors. And then mm. there's like the moral dilemma there. I reckon that'd be really interesting, but we'll, we'll see. Are you, are you putting this down as a prediction or? <laughs> um, okay. All right. So we've got two predictions now <laughs> on the clock. Oof, we're really pumping them out. Um, uh, so uh, we've been talking about their dynamic, which is good because the first yeah. half of the chapter is them kind of catching their breath to an extent. Um, yeah. Before Blake notices uh, that he kind of searches the house more and notices that there is a room where one side of the room is longer than the other, and it doesn't quite make sense. It's this, like, spatial distortion thing. Um, and searching through this room, he finds a hidden, behind a book, kind of cliched, uh, a little keyhole to open up a room to a hidden library, which has all so, these kind of... I think mm. you've just totally skipped over how much of, like, a little a weird mindfuck this spatial distortion is. Like, he <laughs> walks down the corridor on the left-hand side, and it's, like, 21 steps... And then yep. he just takes a step across to the other side of the corridor and walks down, and it's like thirty. And then he looks down it, and it looks normal. And like that, yeah, like that's that's like, some TARDIS, like Doctor <laughs> Who weird bullshit going on. That's just the, like the line that I like is every bookshelf has an op- opposite bookshelf that matches it. Like yeah, well, yeah. Wait, <laughs> hold on. It doesn't make <laughs> hold sense. Hold on. <laughs> um, yeah, but skipping over the whole M.C. Escher painting esque nature of this room, <laughs> he finds a hidden library and finds. Magic shit, basically. Books about magical shit. Yeah, um, it's a magic library. Like, and there's all sorts of books. Like, he walks in and, and he just gives, like, this big list of books that probably has clues into the direction the story's heading, but I only recognized a few words. Like, there was one called Lilith's Children, which is, like, she was that whole mythical Adam's first wife thing, wife thing in yep. Judaism. There was yep. also one that was called Pitiable, Transcriptions from Informal Dialogues with a Vampire. Which I've chosen to decide is Wild Bo's <laughs> scathing review of Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt's movie Interview with a Vampire. Yeah, I didn't. I just kind of skipped over that, being like, "Yep, that sounds like a normal <laughs> book." When I first read it, but you, you called this out, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, he's obviously just <laughs> calling out this movie." Um, yeah, I, I wonder what's inside that book. Is it is uh, Interview with a Vampire the movie adaptation of this Parahumans World <laughs> book? Um, uh, so we we find basically this is where we start getting exposition, right? Um, yeah, we learn about what's going on. We learn a bit about kind of some of the rules of this world, or we, they're at least hinted at, and we learn what Rose's motivation for the whole bequeathing is. Um, yeah, and which it's, is that, it's basically oh. sort of what you'd expect, which is yeah. Um, it, it's magic shit, basically. <laughs> like, yeah, basically uh, the family has over time racked up a lot of karmic debt. And so they need to keep stuff in the family. Uh, They need to keep this house in the family because otherwise the debt will kind of have all at once bad consequences for the family line, right? Um, Yeah, and God only knows what what that sort of means. Um, (laughs) Yeah, and because there's all this stuff. um, uh, I think part of the letter mentions that, you know, once you've been magically activated or whatever that means, um, you have to speak the truth, which is already a callback to that bit where, like, the only time Blake really offended Rose Senior as she was dying was when he called her a liar. Mm. Um, 
so we're already sort of you know seeing seeing stuff like that being delivered on yeah paying off um and with with this magical library rose has left a note to blake which outlines a set of steps for him to do which kind of <laughs> i mean you can read it as a a foreshadowing for the structure of the arcs i guess if you want <laughs> yeah I, um, I i was i was thinking uh, is this the four quarters of the of the start of the book then <laughs> uh but one of them is uh so this mo- the, uh, this note is set out to molly or more more to molly et al which i thought was funny uh, it's it's not just to molly um yeah it doesn't really convey confidence in molly does it like <laughs> no uh but one of the things one of the demands is uh that that she needs to marry a guy she needs to get married and blake's yeah. response to to reading this huge list of things on him most of which are like you know find a familiar find yourself your your magic wand yeah yeah um, activate activate your magic powers and he's just like yeah. but i'm not gay I can't marry a guy. I'm not gay. And and Rose is like, well, but gay marriage is legal. And Blake's like, yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah. It's 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 this interesting. I mean, it's a I weird takeaway from, yeah. from like such a such a huge information dump of like magic is real. You're gonna have all these magic powers. And and um, and he he focuses on this like oddly pragmatic part of all of that yeah. information. I- I really like this because it's. I, I don't think it reads as homophobic for Blake's character. I think it reads as he's just very practical. He's like, "Yep, can do that, can <laughs> yeah. do that, can do that." Well, hold on, this doesn't make sense, you know? Yeah, it just is like it strikes him as not practical, and he therefore, of course, he would question it over all the yeah. other nonsense things. Um. um well, and because and cause, well, I mean, the whole thing's murky because there's this whole thing where apparently him and Miro's are some loophole that granny rose has mm. activated and so like you know does is it is it blake who has to marry a guy or is it like miros who has to do it like yep i mean the whole thing doesn't really make any sense uh it's such a weird detail to get caught up on <laughs> um yeah so uh i think let's call out some of the important things that he has to go over here he has to yeah. activate his magic powers by doing a ritual he has to yeah. get himself a familiar. He has to get him, uh, which wait, you know, wait, wait is, hold on. Like, uh, I'm, I'm really keen for the familiars, but I love just this bit where she's like, "You can do whatever you want with the familiar, just don't make it a rat or a dog." Yeah, <laughs> I, like, like, <laughs> I, like, I can't wait to know why that had to be specified. I'm so excited to find out. I, it gives me this great vibe of of Rose Senior being just so, like, better than people. You know, she's like, yeah, <laughs> like you know. I obviously know some more about that line, but it doesn't come off to me as her saying, oh, a rat or a dog it will be to a disadvantage or anything. It just kind of comes off as her being like, well, That's people lame. who have the rats or dogs are like shitty, you know, like, don't do that. Um, see, I, I, yeah, I guess. I'll, I'll be interested to see where it goes, but like my first thought, because I guess I, I, I would have thought she would have mentioned cats because like having a mm, black cat as a familiar would be the tacky cliched thing to do, well, I would have thought. But remember, she had a cat. I mean- she had oh, a black yeah, cat a who point. died at the same time as her, which presumably oh, we can yeah. assume now is her familiar, right? Yeah, I I had actually already been assuming that before yeah. I realized familiars were going to be in it. Um, <laughs> maybe that's why she's just a cat person, and so she doesn't yeah. like rats and dogs. Yeah, yes, <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> um, so a familiar, also a domain, which is how that word is pronounced. It it doesn't. Yeah. I, Anyway, let's move on. No, I, I learned that. I learned that from Worm. That's that's a word uh, Wobber used in Worm. It's, it's his favorite niche <laughs> word, I guess. It comes back, um, which is a you know a a, a place of power. 
um, as well as an implement, a you know a magic wand, it's basically, or not yeah, a it, magic wand, but you know it doesn't have to be a wand, but it, it sounds like some sort of conduit to to move your power through. So basically, a yeah. Wand. But it could be an umbrella or analogous to a magic wand, or or anything else from Harry Potter. Um, and I really I'm excited to talk in more detail about those things, um, familiars, yeah. domains, and implements because they are. You know, Wildbow's strength as a writer is the world building that he does. And um, these things are all very interesting to talk about in their own right. But I know that we will get to talk more about them <laughs> soon. Yeah. So I'm going to not. Have a feeling, <laughs> let's not dive I, into it right now. I have a feeling they'll get at least an arc each uh, to be discussed. But yeah, we'll, I'm sure we'll have time. Yeah. Um, one other thing I want to point out here, when they're talking about uh, the connections that they have... They, Rose and Blake kind of realize that the lawyers that have been managing her estate and all these things, it kind of clicks to them, oh, these people clearly are more in the know than we initially assumed. Um, yeah, but that's and, not really and, a helpful realization. Yeah, because Rose says, they're not friends, Blake. Resources maybe, but not friends. We should think long and hard about when and why we contact them. And I really like this because it's... <laughs> They've come into the this world that seems very self-serving. It, there's no there's no pro bono. It's all quid pro quo. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, any favor you want to ask, be ready to owe a favor in return. Which is why it's so bizarre that they've just been completely thrown in the deep end by their grandma. I'm going to have to assume that that's part of some deal. Because otherwise, yeah. it, it's it's like a massive dick move, even by her standards. Uh because, like, you know, they've got so much information they need to gather. Like, it, it's crazy yeah. that you would leave them on their own unless you had to. Yes. Um, uh, so let's put a pin in that and we'll come back to it later. <laughs> um, so the question that has been hanging over the second half of the chapter is, what what's with this karmic debt? Why, why are we in such a shitty position? And yeah. the chapter ends giving us a hint towards that when Blake finds basically the shelf of her most prized books, right? Which have details like uh, dark contracts, infernal wrath, hellfire bindings, and they all are marked with her initials because she is the author of these horrible books. There's actually one that yeah. says that's called "The Worst of the Others," which is very <laughs> direct and to the point. Um, yeah, and so we we get this hint at oh, people hate Rose, and she's accrued all this karmic debt because she has. It, she is an expert on the worst of the worst that is out there. Yeah, I mean, we definitely get the impression that that uh, her and probably her ancestors were really neck deep in all of this shit, uh, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that's pretty much the end of the chapter. It ends on this revelation that Rose was was a bit of an expert, apparently. In yeah, in she this was whole a prolific author. Shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A real a wild bird. Wild bird. In the <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but no, so I, I like this chapter cause it was, uh, you know, it was mostly an expository chapter. I think like it, it was, it, it tried a lot to, to just dump a lot of information out, but it did it in a way that was all riddles and hiding it behind puzzles. So it didn't really feel yeah. like an exposition dump because it was like each bit was, it was sort of trickled out to us and, and each in exposition dump was separated from the others by a little puzzle that, that, that the pair had to solve, which I quite liked. Yeah, I actually really liked the first half of this chapter where it's, you've made it to the sanctuary and it's just a house and there's nothing here. Good luck. I thought that was, yeah, it yeah. just, yeah, kept me very uh, on my toes, I suppose. 
Yeah, well, there's a, yeah, there's that whole tension throughout the chapter of you haven't really found sanctuary. It feels more like they've found a deserted island in the middle of the ocean, and now they're trying to build yeah. a raft out of a tree on the island. Yeah, exactly. But, they've got to scrape some stuff together to like, escape the yeah. shitty situation. They're not they're not physically drowning anymore, but they're still on an island in the middle of the ocean. Like they're not yeah, they're totally. not safe yet. I think that's a very good analogy for this whole situation. Um, <laughs> what other thoughts do we have on this chapter before we wrap up? Uh, we get we get hints at, at a lot of cool things. I don't want to go too into them because it's hard to keep separate in my mind what is hinted here and what I actually know from later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, no, I, I mean, I'm interested. Uh, like, you know, I, I was sort of talking about how we're getting trickling bits of um, exposition. We're also constantly getting little tidbits of Blake's past and mm. sort of slow, very slowly filling in these gaps. And I'm excited to see that keep heading because I'm sure... You know, his other friends and family that he's made outside of his biological family are going to come into it because they're probably not just going to accept that he's, you know, gone, he's disappeared and he's now holed up in a mansion in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> he inherited a mansion. He had to Scooby-Doo it. It's fine. They'll understand. <laughs> um, um, yeah. I, so I guess the only other thing, I guess this counts as a prediction. I don't know. Uh, I'm already loving this. This book is clearly about, semantics or there's there's a big theme of, of semantics in the magic mm. um we've had so many lines i think miro's had a thing where she said she doesn't like to be pedantic page in the first chapter was was talking about how she doesn't or she loves arguing semantics which is going to come back to bite her um mm. i'm almost certain rose senior was really interested in blake after he carefully chose his words so I, I feel like that's going to be a big part of it is is how specific you are with wordplay. And since Wildbo is such a great wordsmith, I think that he's going to get to do really cool things with that. Yeah. Uh, well, no comment. We will see how that pans <laughs> out, I suppose. Um, yeah. I guess that's that's it for us for this week. Uh, man, we can't keep saying week anymore because soon it's going to be every three days. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's it for this chapter. Um, yeah. So we're recording this um, just as the first chapters, the first two chapters episodes gone live. So, yep. Um, I mean, you know, if anyone's still listening, thanks for <laughs> thanks for making it this far with us. Yeah. Um, and you know, as of next time, we'll actually get to engage with the community a bit more, which will be exciting. Yeah. Um, to do that, we have contact links in the uh, in the. Uh, notes for the episode as we and we will also have a link to a discussion thread where we can um talk about the episode uh as elliot hasn't read them we're gonna enforce the rule of you know spoiler tag anything that is from that is hinting at future information uh, obviously treat yes. treat it as though you're just up to the chapter that we're up to um and anything that you want to mention from the future please spoiler tag it and then Elliot will just kind of steer clear um yes yeah. um other things you can do to interact with the show are all listed on our website, which is mediamdpodcast.com. You can check out our main show over there, as well as our Twitter and Facebook, our socials. You can review us on iTunes, which, because we are just starting out, would be very, very helpful. Yes. <laughs> Please do that. Yes. Uh, our next and... episode... Oh, yep. No, I was going to say, our next episode is uh, going to be out on the 30th, I believe. Yep. New Year's Eve Eve. So, uh, yep. we will uh, see you then, I suppose. See ya. Yeah. See you all in a week. Yeah.